0: Welcome to Shouts of Grace Radio, practical conversations from God's Word hosted by Utah's own Pastor Steve Pearson of Redemption Hill Church in Saratoga Springs. At Shouts of Grace Radio, it's our purpose to encourage you to see the Bible as God's source of truth for everyday life and grace as the foundation for a genuine relationship with God. Now, let's join Pastor Steve for today's conversation.
1: Hey, welcome back to Shouts of Grace Radio. I am your host, Steve Pearson, pastor of Redemption Hill Church in Saratoga Springs, Utah, and we are delighted that you can join us for today's broadcast. Hey, listen, if this is your first time listening to Shouts of Grace, we want to say welcome and invite you to go to our website that would be shoutsofgraceradio.com and there you can tap into any of the former broadcasts. I believe we're up close to about 90 now, um maybe in the maybe uh in no- north of 80 and close to 90. Um and as well, if you have any questions or or comments, go ahead and feel free to drop us an email there as well. Um, And if you're a returning listener to Shouts of Grace, we want to say, welcome back. We appreciate your support and your prayers. And if you are in the northern Utah County area and you do not have a church, or maybe you just are a listener and you want to stop by and say hi, um, why not visit us on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. at Vista Heights Middle School there in Saratoga Springs? Uh, Stop in, uh, have a cup of coffee with us and a donut. We'd love to meet you and say hi. Um, If you have been listening to Shouts of Grace, you'll know that we've been going through a series. with uh, with several different pastors from around the country, friends of mine, and we've been calling it lessons from the pulpit, and just really kind of tapping into uh, the wealth of knowledge and wisdom that that many people um, have have gone. Um, and encountered over the years and and just kind of the lessons they 've learned and so it 's been it 's been a great trip we 're going to kind of break from that now um and what we 're going to do is is as as the broadcast airs, we get questions that come in from time to time, and so what we do is kind of accumulate those and so what I want to do today is just kind of answer a number of questions that that some of our listeners have had over the last several months and 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 kind of maybe do some do our best to kind of lay some of those concerns and those questions um, to rest. And so I'm going to just jump right into this. Um, Our first question comes from Janice and Janice says, what do you do if you're supposed to forgive a person, but they keep doing the same thing over and over and they keep hurting you? At what point is enough enough? And that's a great question, Janice. I think there's sometimes there's a misconception of what christian forgiveness is as almost as if you are called to be a punching bag for somebody and you just sit there and and you allow them to keep wailing on your emotions and your psyche and year after year because after all jesus turned said turn the other cheek and so just just be an emotional um you know punching bag for them and and, and i would say this first janice is when you talk about forgiveness of of, of somebody else and their actions towards you Forgiveness doesn't have anything to do with them per se. Forgiveness is really between you and God. Because of all that God has forgiven you of, who am I to hold something against somebody else? And so, we wouldn't say that 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 forgiveness is you just sit there and you be treated however somebody else wants to treat you. That that's that's kind of a weird concept of forgiveness, but it does mean That whatever takes place in the broken part of the human heart that holds grudges and brings people into a place of bitterness where Hebrews would say causes many to be defiled, that that thing there needs to be surrendered to God. Now, having said that, once you have forgiven from your heart what somebody has done because God has forgiven you, there is nothing in the Bible that would suggest that you can't put up barriers. And because here's the thing. You get to choose, in many cases, friends. You get to choose people that oftentimes hurt you and how close you want to be with them. And there's no sin against that. And so one of the things that we would say is, you know, friendship is something that that is based on trust. And trust is something for all of us that is earned. And when trust is broken, there is something called reconciliation. And, and so when you think of forgiveness, Janice, think of it this way that that forgiveness has nothing to do with the offender it has everything to do with you and god God, I'm going to forgive them because I've been forgiven of a far greater debt. But when it comes to reconciliation, reconciliation has everything to do with the person. And reconciliation means that the two parties in the dispute sit down in on uh, across the table from one another, if you will. All of the cards are out on the table, and that person gets to share their offense. This hurts me. When you say this, when you do this, when you act this way. And that is where you find out if this thing called restoration— possible. Because when we're seeking to be reconciled to one another, what we're doing is we're trying to understand each other's offenses. If the person doing the harm says, well, this is why I do this, you know, whatever it is, that's the, explena- that's the explanation part of everything. Why are you acting the way you're acting? And, and if you walk away from that, with a better understanding of of why the person is doing what they're doing, then the next step is possible, and that's restoration. And restoration simply means bringing something back to its original condition. So oftentimes, let's take, for example, a marriage. If if there's maybe unfaithfulness in a marriage, there's oftentimes where restoration never takes place, but forgiveness and reconciliation do, meaning that, that once the reconciliation happens, maybe there's kids involved and they understand, look, I don't want... I don't want to go to this place of restoration because the damage that's been done really is is beyond what I can what I what I can handle if you will. And so you may agree we're going to be friends, we're going to reconcile for the sake of the kids, but restoration never happens because the offense was so deep and so great. But listen, if restoration ever is to happen, you have to sit and reconcile with somebody and then restoration is simply the process of rebuilding trust and that takes time whether it's in friendships, whether it's in broken relationships relationships and so janice don't don't think that forgiveness as a christian means you sit and get beat for a month a year 10 years 20 years because after all now i will say this in 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 regard to that janice is that the bible says of jesus that when jesus in first peter chapter two verse 23 when jesus was threatened he didn't threaten in return when he was reviled he did not revile in return but he committed it to God who judges righteously, and there's something in that that gives us what the heart of Christ is when we're being threatened, when we're being reviled. Like a lamb led before the slaughter, Isaiah 53, 7, he opened not his mouth. It's Romans chapter 12, verse 19, give place to wrath, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So there is this idea that in In the brokenness, as we're rubbing up against the brokenness of humanity and we're being offended and we're, you know, needing to forgive people, there is an element as well of surrendering things to Christ and allowing him to be your strength in that. But. That doesn't mean that you have to sit and be beat and abused emotionally, and certainly we would say not not, not, not physically. And so I hope that helps, Janice. Um, you know, if, if you have any further questions on that, feel free to get in touch with us at—sorry, um, at, at, um, I was going to say our church address, but but at shoutsofgraceradio.com. It's been a pleasure answering that question. The next question comes from Samuel, and Samuel says, how can Jesus be God— and the Son of God, at the same time, I don't understand the Trinity. So, Samuel, um, well, I will say this. Let me begin by saying this. There are some things that are very difficult in Scripture to understand, and, and sometimes God doesn't necessarily call us to grasp and understand all the facets of them, but to study them, be convinced of them, and then trust Him with those lingering questions and doubts because if the whole of scripture teaches something which we know is from God then whether my mind can grasp every small element of that is irrelevant and so the trinity would be one of those things that we would call a paradox okay what what that means is there seems to be um, seems to be contradictory truths. On one hand, you have the humanity of Christ. On the other hand, you have the deity of Christ. Well, those two in our mind are opposed to one another, right? How can you be God and man? they, they Those two are mutually exclusive. They're opposites. And so when you put those two in the same person, which we know the, the theological term is called the hypostatic union, when you put those two in the same person, it, it creates this massive conundrum inside the human mind because we can't mesh those two characteristics which are opposed to one another as we know them into one and so that was one of the things they dealt with in the 3rd and 4th century and as as they came up with with this creedal kind of formula understanding that Christ is not 50-50 Jesus is 100% God and he is one Hundred percent man, and probably one of the strongest evidences we have from that, and kind of where we'd kick that off, would be in John one one, where it says, "In Archaean logos, kai logos, pros logos, kai logos, theos," which it says, "In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God." And so what we're talking about, the nature of Christ. We're talking about not a a product of creation. We're talking about the architect of creation, the designer of creation, the beginner of creation, one who was outside of creation and chose to step into time and space for a specific purpose, and that purpose being the redemption of God's people. And so the problem that you and I are going to have is that when we look at the qualities of God, or let's call it the the attributes of God, um, there there are two types. There are communicable and incommunicable, meaning there are some that God gives away to us, like love and patience and kindness, and he says, Be more like this. And then there are those that he holds himself, like his eternality, his immutability, he never changes, his um his you know omniscience he's all-knowing these are things that humans cannot tap into and so what happens is in the person of christ you see all of humanity and all of deity and what i'm doing is i'm dealing with the first two people of the trinity and so when the question is asked how can jesus be god and the son of god if you think of eternity that there is one god right there's there's one what and three who's one god and for a purpose of redemption that god took upon himself an additional nature that being human, and he chose to step into time and space in a manger and and allow himself to to receive all of the qualities of humanity minus the sin and therefore grow up being hungry, being thirsty. the Bible would say growing in wisdom yet having all wisdom there's where our there's where our issue starts to come in that Jesus knew all things yet he limited himself in knowledge how how is that possible well you know, you, you look at Jesus' exercising of, of his omniscience when he tells Peter, hey, you know what, you got to pay your taxes, go over there and grab a fish in the first coin. First fish you grab open its mouth and pay your taxes, you're going to find a coin. That's an exercise of omniscience. No human being can know that. Many times Jesus would, would say something like like, like like to the man that was, that was in his bed and dropped through the roof. He said, hey, your sins be forgiven you. And, and then he perceives the thoughts of the Pharisees, which is a sign of omniscience, saying, "Hey, um, you know, I, I I can even see your thoughts, but that's not possible for a human." You see him being able to to demonstrate his omnipotence, his all power, when he stands up on the bow of a boat and he tells the sea, "Be quiet and stand still." Yet you see his humanity when he weeps and he cries over a friend, Lazarus, and so you see all of these attributes and qualities in the person of christ both his deity and his humanity and our mind doesn't know what to do with it and so what usually happens is people will do one of two things they'll err and they'll try and reason and reconcile the fact well then he can't be god he has to be a creation of god and he's god like no it says in the beginning was the word the word was with god and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And then it goes on to say in John 1, verse 14, and the Word, which was God, became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, we can spend all day talking about that and, and, and the dynamics of that, but at the end of the day, Jesus Christ is the eternal God who existed for all eternity and chose for the reasons of Of clearly, Scripture would say, of redeeming people from their sin, he chose to step into time, take upon himself a human nature, and then die for the sins of humanity. Never one time losing his deity laying aside his divine prerogative yes but never one time was the nature of christ compromised by the infusion of or the taking on of an additional nature in his humanity and so i I hope that helps it is a it is a complex subject but um we'd love to answer more questions concerning that if you wanted to go onto the website and drop us some more questions hey listen um we're going to take a short break you've been listening to shouts of grace radio we'll be right back
0: You're listening to Shouts of Grace Radio with Pastor Steve. At Shouts of Grace Radio, we're thankful for the encouragement from Key Radio, reaching Utah on the airwaves with the good news of eternal life from their station in Provo, Utah. Key Radio can be found online at keyradio.org, and your support of Key Radio makes programs like Shouts of Grace Radio possible. Now, let's join Pastor Steve for the conclusion of today's conversation.
1: Hey, welcome back to Shouts of Grace. I am your host, Steve Pearson, pastor of Redemption Hill Church. And just on the other side of the break, we were answering a question um, from Samuel in regard to the Trinity. And and, and those of you that have been listening know that um, today we're on today's episode. We're kind of taking a number of questions that we received over the last um, several months, and we're kind of um, bringing them into a collection, and then we're answering those. And so uh, we answer Genesis question and Samuel's question. And so the, the next question we have is from David. Um, David says, "I am struggling with yet another contradiction in the Bible. In First Chronicles twenty one twelve, it says that God offered David three years of famine, but in Second Samuel twenty four thirteen, it says that God offered David seven years of famine." So, which is it? Well, first, let me let let me say this, David. Um, there are no contradictions in the Bible, and so I'm not I'm not completely sure what you're referring to in that. Um, and 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 this is an important um, kind of kind of launching point. Is that Scripture says that it is inspired by God, um, and what that means, and what it doesn't mean, um, is that. Number one, it doesn't mean that it's, it's word for word, like God sat and told Paul, write this, write this, write that. We don't believe that. But inspired means it's God-breathed, meaning that God moved upon human vessels and inspired them to write the words that we would know as Scripture. And so because of that, we would say that the Bible is inerrant, meaning it doesn't have air. And so when you say and begin your question with I'm struggling with yet another contradiction uh, what what we would say is well there aren't contradictions but there can be perceived contradictions if our knowledge base is limited, and so um, we we would we would challenge that and just push back a little bit there and say and say that's that's not so. But but concerning your question itself, um, you, you're referring to obviously um, in First Chronicles chapter twenty-one as well, Second chronic Second Samuel twenty-four are, are very sim- They're they're two of the same um, instances that that are being shared there, and that's of course when David decides that he wants to number the people. And as a result of numbering the people, perhaps in his heart was well. The scripture even says there in First Chronicles that Satan moved upon the heart of David to number the people. And so, whatever his motives were, it wasn't a trust in God. Perhaps he wanted to count his strength and he wanted to see just just how how strong he was. But but God did not did not um, weigh in on that with with favor. And so he comes to David and he offers him three choices. And and those choices are number one, he can have a three year sentence. Um, number Two, he can have a three-month sentence, or number three, he can have a three-day sentence. And when it came to the the three-year sentence, it was three years of famine. Um, and so that is, of course, talked about in First Chronicles chapter twenty-one. But then when you go to Second Samuel twenty-four. It gives the same story, but then the offer isn't three years of famine. The offer is seven years of famine. And so you have what seems to be a contradiction there. And so um, a couple of things, David, is that when you read some of the earlier manuscripts on that, and and even some of your earlier versions, some of your more popular versions of the Bible, like the King James, the New King James, the NASB, those have a seven-year reference there. And you read like your... Your some of your newer versions, the ESV and some others, those actually change that to three years. But but that doesn't is isn't what we need to talk about. If you go to First Samuel, or sorry, Second Samuel, um, ver uh, chapter twenty one and verse one, David, it says something interesting that I think can kind of clarify um your 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 question here. It says, "Now there was a famine in the days of David for three years." Year after year, and David sought the face of the Lord. And so understand that, that when you get to chapter 24 and David numbers the people, you also have chapter 21, which you just read, meaning that there was already a three-year famine that was in place. When you read the First Chronicles version as well as the Second Samuel version, it took David nine months and some 20 days to number the people. So you know that if there's already a three-year famine, and it took nine months and 20 days to number the people, that David, at minimum, was sitting on close to a four-year famine when God came to him, and he said in First Chronicles, what would you like to do? Would you like three years of famine or three days of the sword of the Lord or three years of falling into your enemy's hands? And so here's the point, David. Chronicles and Samuel are not in opposition to one another, but they take this from different angles. There in First Chronicles 21, he's giving the exact punishment for David's numbering the people three years of famine but in second samuel 24 he's talking about famine as an accumulation including the four years that were already in place and so it isn't a contradiction it's just coming from a different perspective um i hope that helps david um the next question we have comes from perkins and perkins says can you explain sowing and reaping i'm asking because i don't always see this truth it seems sometimes it's just the opposite. And Perkins, man, I would agree with you 100%. Sometimes it does seem like it is just the opposite, right? The the idea of sowing and reaping, of course, comes from Galatians, where we're told in Galatians 5 that God will not be mocked, that whatever, or Galatians 6, that God will not be mocked at whatever a man sows, that is what he will reap. And simply put, whatever you plant is what you're going to to harvest. If, if you sow to the flesh, it says you're going to reap corruption. And if you sow to the spirit, you're going to reap everlasting life. Now, here's what typically people understand that to be is if I do good, good will come back to me. And if I do bad, then bad will come back to me. You know, some groups might call it karma. And and so there's almost this expectation from God that, that man, if I, if, if I please God, then everything in my life Will go good, and and that part of sowing and reaping is not completely true. There's a, a statement that that Solomon makes in Ecclesiastes eight. He said, "There's a vanity that takes place on earth that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous." I say this is vanity. Solomon said, "Man, I, I don't understand this. That, that a good people are having bad things happen to them, and bad people are having." good things happen to them. This is vanity. This is confusing. And what Solomon is essentially saying is, look, this whole idea of sowing and reaping doesn't seem to be working itself out in every case. And so here's what I would say. You guys, God is Perkins, God is is extremely patient, right? And and when we sow evil Things don't always happen right away because the patience and the love and the grace of God is given us time to repent and it's given us that space to be able to work things through with him because God's desire isn't to slam us. But listen, there is a truth. And and it's 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 a truth that, that man, we gotta grasp onto that God isn't mocked. And if a person chooses to use their life to reject God, to reject his principles, and to really invoke their own will in life and circumstances, in family, and friendships, whatever it is, and they choose to live that way, that at some point, eventually, God is going to visit back on them what they planted, or the bed that they have made is the one that they will lie on. Now that may not come Right away. I mean, there were several hundred years before Israel, as a nation, reaped the consequences of hundreds of years of rejecting God, and He gave them time to repent. And so Perkins, what we would say is, is be careful. Don't, don't, and you don't want this either. Don't think that that when a crime's committed, that that you want justice and you want the hammer to fall right away from God to sh- to prove that He won't be mocked because you want mercy as much as the next person does. But do understand this: if a person takes God to task and they continue in a life of sin, what will eventually happen is it will catch up to them. And God will not be mocked in that sense, and God will allow them to receive on their own head the things that they have planted, and that will be a miserable day. And so I I hope that answers your question, Perkins. Hey, listen, we're just about out of time for this episode of Shouts of Grace. Listen, if if you, again, are in the Utah County area, uh, we'd love to talk to you at Redemption Hill. Shouts of Grace is a radio ministry of Redemption Hill, and we look forward to hearing from you online as well as you listen And for the next episode, God bless you guys.
0: Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Shouts of Grace Radio: Practical Conversations from God's Word, hosted by Pastor Steve Pearson. We hope you've been encouraged to see the Bible as God's source of truth for everyday life, and grace as the foundation for a genuine relationship with God. If today's conversation encouraged you in your journey following and learning more about Jesus, we would love to hear from you. You can visit us online at ShoutsOfGraceRadio.com. At ShoutsOfGraceRadio.com, you can listen to all of our episodes, share them online with your friends, and find out more about Pastor Steve. Shouts of Grace Radio is an outreach of Redemption Hill Church in Saratoga Springs, Utah, Thank you again for joining us on today's show. And from all of us here at Shouts of Grace Radio, it is our prayer that you would grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ.